Thank you for coming this morning to HBF. It's great to hear you. Thanks for praising the Lord together. That was a great song to end on. And uh, we do know that uh, His love never fails. If you have your Bibles, man, uh, well, man or woman, be turning to the book of Exodus chapter 12. We're still hanging on the rim here in Exodus chapter 12. There's so much to see and uh, do here. And then we'll be moving on at a pretty brisk pace here shortly. Uh, but uh, if you're just joining us, we've been studying through the book of Exodus. And the title of the sermon series is Getting Out of Egypt. And uh, if you know much about the Bible, Egypt is a type of the world. And, uh, man, we all need to be free from the bondage. And we look forward to the day when we're, uh, we sail away. Whether we die and we go home to be with the Lord or uh, the Lord comes and catches us away. It could be today, Labor Day weekend on Sunday, before we get done with service, we could hear the trumpet, bam, be out of here. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I hope you're ready. And I hope that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, that today would be a day where you could meet him and have that kind of assurance, knowing that God is well able to overcome all the sin and death uh, that has been imposed upon humanity through the sin of Adam and through our own uh, sin. Lord, The Lord is so good to us. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. Turn to page 99. Uh, we'll be on 99 and 100 in, in your Bible. Uh, if you have one from HBF, if you had a guest bag, I don't think we had any guest bags. Uh, but if you are a guest and you're like incognito, you're hiding out, I get it. Uh, we're so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're watching us. And we just want you to enjoy the word of God. And we do want to get to know you. At the end of the service, we'll have an offering uh, time. And you can just, uh, if you would, just drop in a guest card. If you don't have a guest card, rip off the little piece of paper on the edge of the bulletin. Drop that in the offering as it goes by. And so... Today we're going to continue to examine the purity of the Passover sacrifice. And as we look at that, we're going to see how Jesus, who is our Passover, is the cause of our uh, protection from the judgment of God, as well as the memorial celebration uh, of our deliverance from sin. So as we look at Exodus chapter 12, I want to go ahead and just jump right into the text and get moving this morning. Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. We covered this last week. Uh, and we're going to just recover that and then and move on down through verse 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 20. Let's read there, starting in verse 11. It says, And thus shall ye eat it, uh, speaking of the Passover, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So we talked about that last week in great detail. For I will pass through the land of Egypt... This night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, verse 13, and the blood shall be for you a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you a memorial and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20 in particular as we go from this event of a Passover to this feast that's mentioned. In verse 15 it says, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day, there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day, there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. Verse 17, and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. That's the name of this, the feast of unleavened bread. For in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Verse 18. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat the unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Uh, seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he be a stranger or born in the land, ye shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection power, his power to free us from the bondage of sin and death. We thank you, Lord, uh, for just loving us and gathering us together today. 
a holy convocation. That's really what we are. We're set apart this morning to hear from you. And Lord, we pray, God, you speak to our hearts today, that you encourage us. It's a great Labor Day weekend. We have a little bit of extra time. And Lord, I pray we were able to enjoy you and rest in you, set you first above all else today. And Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified. And Lord, I pray a blessing upon each and every person listening under the sound of of uh, my voice in the word of God this morning. We do want to again pray for James Horton, who is ill this morning. We lift him up to you as well. Pray for all those that are, uh, Lord, that are uh, hurting, all those that are in a situation today where maybe they're depressed or, uh, Lord, they just need a touch from the Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that today you would minister to us in a very special way, and, and Lord, that you would be glorified in and through us. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Uh, This morning, as we look at this passage, I want to just remind you of some things in the New Testament. I'm going to jump to the New Testament because in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the scripture says, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And so God has given us three witnesses in the New Testament that tells us there's much to learn and apply from the teachings of the Old Testament. Uh, Some folks think the Old Testament isn't worth much, but it's actually very illuminating and it helps us understand a lot about who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he wants from us. In Romans 15, 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Anybody need some hope today? Amen. Well, we're in the Old Testament. God's going to give us some hope. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, a warning to the uh, Corinthians. He says, Now these things happened, uh, or these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So God also says, hey, there's some folks that have gone before you that have messed up. And so I have some examples for you so you don't do the same thing. It's like a heads up. Look out. Headache. Don't do that. You're gonna, you don't want to fall in that ditch. And so God gives us the Old Testament so we don't repeat the same mistakes. Uh, the same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he says, Now all these things happened unto them for, the, for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So literally, that, that, all the things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament, all those stories are examples to everyone around the world upon the ends of the earth. And of course, also in, the, in a very literal sense, as we come uh, toward the end of the age of grace, uh, these, these things that we learn from the Old Testament are particularly uh, pertinent to us as they are in every dispensation. So we can learn a lot about being a child of God by studying the children of Israel. And in addition, we can learn a lot about the Lamb of God and His powerful sacrifice on the cross by examining the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember what we covered from Exodus 12, 11 through 13, and 21 through 30. We talked about the power of the Passover, and particularly the power that reveals the, uh, the Lamb's power to protect us from judgment, right? Because that Lamb of God is what kept the death angel from uh, coming upon those homes, and, uh, and, the, and those uh, children of Israel were not or will not be touched by the, the angel. Uh, and that we saw that the Passover prepared the children of Israel to mobilize as an army. I pointed that out last week, how uh, in verse 17 he calls them an army. Verse 51 ends the chapter uh, with them as an army. It changed their identification literally from slaves and servants to an army, to a nation. We saw the, the power of the blood to protect us from pending judgment, <clears throat> and the power of the blood secures our salvation, and the power of the Passover should uh, be passed on to every generation. That's mentioned again today. It's so important that we make disciples, that it doesn't end with us. The things that we are taught, the things that God has given to us, must be given to others also. And that's, uh, that's, that is the Great Commission. Uh, it is important and necessary and, and uh, magnificent and glorious to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and become new creatures in Christ. That's everything. It is. It's everything for me. It's everything for you. But it doesn't end there. Right. The whole the whole idea is once you're born into God's family is God wants to entrust to us the oracles of God, just as he's going to do to Israel as they get free from the bondage. God gives them on Sinai the word of God and entrusts them with that so that they can get that to the nations. And at the apex of that kingdom uh, under Solomon, they literally all the nations of the world came to them. Now, today it's been flipped. Right. God has put his spirit in us and he's given us his word. and He's given us his church so that we can go to all nations and give them the word of God. And it starts right here in our homes, in our families, in our local New Testament church, and all the local New Testament churches that believe the Word of God, that we multiply to every generation. 
And so it's really important that we understand that. And, and that leads us to this, this feast of unleavened bread that I mentioned in the introductory comments that starts there around verse 14. It's, it's intertwined with the Passover. When you read this and then you read through the rest of the Bible, you, you can't really speak of the Passover without addressing or seeing or understanding this feast of unleavened bread that occurs uh, seven days from the sacrifice there on the 14th day of Abib. And so that uh, is an important, uh, that's an important feature to what is going on in the story here in Exodus because the purity of the Passover is celebrated in memorial uh, of the feast of unleavened bread. The, the Passover is obviously very important. It's, it's celebrated, and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is intertwined with the Passover. The Passover is a, well, it's a sacrifice, right? It's an event. It's a, it's a sacrifice that's offered. It's a one-time, well, they do it every year, of course, but it's a, it's a, at that time it was a, is an event of a sacrifice that happened on that 14th day, uh, and it commences uh, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a celebration that com- that. Uh, also begins on that 14th day and runs through the 21st day of the month of Abib, or today they would say Nisan. So uh, one is a sacrifice, and the other is a celebration. So the Passover, of course, is a sacrifice, and, the, and it protected them and did all those things that we talked about. There's that power in the blood that we talked about last week. But the other is a memorial. It's right. It's a celebration. It's a remembrance of what God has done through that Passover sacrifice. And if it sounds familiar to you, well, it should, because we still carry on like that with the Lord's Supper in the local New Testament church. So we can see that there is is no celebration without the lamb sacrifice. Since leaven is a picture of sin in the scripture, there's no sanctification without the sacrifice of the lamb of God either. And so when you look at this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's all about sanctification, right? Getting the leaven, getting the sin out. And so uh, our salvation uh, is what sanctifies us, right? It makes us clean before God. So today we celebrate the Lord's Supper because Jesus is our sacrifice for sins. Jesus did more than cover our sins, right? The, the blood and bulls of goats covered sin, but Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he cleansed our sin, right? We are cleansed. We are new creatures in Christ. And so that blood was very and is very special, making us whiter than snow. It's the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the New Testament as often as we choose. And so there's a clear correlation between the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, not only in what I've said this morning, but where did I get that? Because what I get doesn't really matter. What really matters is what does the Word of God say? Well, Paul is the one who makes those connections. It's not me. Paul is the one who conflates the Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread with what we do in the New Testament. He's the one who received that information and then passed it on to us. And one of the places he did that very clearly was in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so uh, he, he brings to mind to the, the Corinthian church who was struggling with carnality <clears throat> that, that we are a new lump, right? A new lump meaning uh, a new lump of dough is what he's referring to. Uh, and that doesn't have yeast in it, doesn't have a leaven, as it's called in the Old Testament. He says we need to be a new lump, not an old lump, not full of sin, but a, a new one. And and so Christ, should should re, he removes our sin, and our house individually and corporately and our church body should also reflect that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, it, he said this, to the, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read this to you. It says, it's reported commonly... That there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not much, so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Ew. You're like, man, Brian, you'd have to bring that up at church. It is in the Bible, okay? I'm just saying. And, and, and he says, and, and you're puffed up. He says, you're puffed up. Think about that, puffed up. That's what leaven does. It puffs the bread up. He says there's sin in the camp, and it's puffing you up. And you've not rather mourned. So they're actually not dealing with the sin that you have done. You're not mourned that you've done this deed, that he that done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily absent, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that have done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together, that's a holy convocation, and in my uh, in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not just so that the flesh can be destroyed, but he goes on to say that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, hey, you got to look at the end game. 
Don't be so short-sighted. Deal with the sin now so that brother or that sister can be saved at length, that they'll be able to stand with a clean conscience before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. So your glorying is not good, he says. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are, un, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ is our past, our, uh, even Christ, I'm sorry, our Passover is sacrificed for us. You notice in verse 7 what he says is, ye are a new lump. So what he's really saying is that uh, you really don't have any business living as though you're a leaven lump when you were really, as far as God is concerned, the Father is concerned, you are a new lump because Jesus Christ's sacrifice is completely sufficient for all sin. Now we could probably just park the car there because uh, that's really what in our world today, that's probably the biggest hurdle most people have is really believing what the Word of God says about how Jesus Christ has judged all of our sin because all of us, including the preacher, struggles with that, thinking my flesh is greater than Jesus' sacrifice. But the truth is that is not true. That is not true. So you have to renew your mind and your heart to believe what God's Word says, and then you get the power, the power that God gives by His grace, through His Spirit, through His Word, through fellowship with the local church, which is why this is so critical. You can't do it on your own. That's why we, we just celebrated life issues Friday night. I had the alumni come in. It was beautiful. I mean, one story after the next story, change life after change life. And it's not about the merits of all the people, which are, everybody is great people, no problems with all the people. But at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're magnifying Jesus Christ and his power to free us from sin, right? To deal with the leaven that likes to live in these lumps that we call our flesh, right? But God's made us a new lump, and someday you're going to see that when we're changing an instant in the twinkling of an eye. It's as, it's as true as you sitting here. It's more true than you sitting here. The life that we live now is just we're on, a, we're on a time clock. I'm as good as dead. I'm like a live man walking around in a dead body. The living, the living lump is inside, but on the outside, right, we've got this other lump. So we're like a dichotomy, right? We've got this old nature and this new nature, and we're all dealing with that. And that is the struggle of humanity, right? Paul talks about it in Galatians, so you cannot do the things that you would, right? Romans also speaks to that, right? The flesh wrestles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So there's that, that struggle that goes on. But let's get our heads around it. Paul's saying, look, you've got to deal with the leaven. You've got to deal with the, the sin because you are a new lump. Jesus Christ, is, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He is sufficient. Therefore, and he did it once, by the way. He's not perpetually dying on the cross. He has died once and for all. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Right? It purges it. Sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not the company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or with extortioners, or with idolaters, or, or then must you needs go out of the world. He's, like, he's saying, I'm not talking about people outside of the church. That's what self-righteous Christians like to do. We, we like to look outside and look at everybody else to make ourselves feel better. Can't believe the world. Well, that's what the world is. The world is lost. Right? The world's lost. They do what dogs do what dogs do, right? So, you know, dogs are dogs. But he says, you're not a dog. If any man that's called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer, well, that's a different story. Or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one, no, not to eat. Because that's not permissible, right? That lifestyle is not uh, permissible inside the body of Christ. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But within that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. Woo, I just said hard words in our culture, because in American church, that does not happen very often. But what God is really saying is that the body needs to be sanctified, right? The body needs to be sanctified, the body of Christ. But it starts with us as individuals, because sometimes people don't respect the sanctity of God. They don't respect the sanctity of, of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And we get it when people are young. Paul's super gracious with baby Christians. He's like, they're carnal. They don't know any better. And they're babies, right? But you know what? People that know better, they know better. And Paul calls this thing out all over the place. He's like, hey, you don't even have to be saved to know this is sin. Not even the dogs do that. Right? This is bad business. And so he's like, you've got to take that leaven and get it out. Not just because we want to eliminate that person, but he's actually, you remember what I said, so that that person can see the end game 
get reconciled to God in time so that they have a, a positive experience in eternity. Because if they are saved, by the way, Galatians chapter 5, you go read the works of the flesh, saved people can act just as w- wicked or worse than lost people. Man, they're going to be standing before God. You imagine being involved in some of those things and then the rapture comes? You're not ready. Are you rapture ready? You know, like I said in Egypt, it took some time to get the Israel ready to, to get out, didn't it? Initially, they were slaves. They were in bondage. They saw themselves as slaves. They were worshiping their gods. The first few judgments fell on Israel just like it fell on the Egyptians. Why? Because God had to get them ready to depart. He had to let them know, hey, guys, I'm not a respecter of persons in judgment. And so don't don't mess around. And, of course, they get their hearts right and. And we see they're about, we're about to really next next week or next time I preach, uh, we will get in on that tenth judgment, man. We'll see, man. God's gonna He's gonna get them out. He's gonna thrust them out, beloved. It won't be long before we're gonna be caught out. I hope you're ready. There ain't no warning, and we know the times of the season. We don't know the day or the hour. I hope you're ready. The time to get ready is now. All right, the time to be ready is now. Not just for salvation. I'm today talking to us, the church. I'm talking about sanctification. Sanctification. What am I doing talking about that in church? We don't do that anymore. So Paul made it abundantly clear to us and the Corinthians that sin, what does it do? It puffs up. Just as the leaven or the yeast does bread uh, when it's left in the dough. And so Paul goes on to talk about the young man who needed to be judged, and he indicates that he needed to be cut off, just as one uh, who would not observe the call to righteously and thoroughly remove the leaven or the yeast, uh, not only from the dough, but from the home, right? So it wasn't just, hey, make sure you got unleavened bread. He's like, hey, go through the house, the tent, whatever you're living in, and make sure that you got that yeast, that leaven out of everything, and I'm going to set this as an ordinance forever. Now, someone could have said, well, why? You notice nobody said why. <laughs> they just did what God said. Now, we know why as we look back on it. It's clear. I'll get to obedience. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But it's so important that we obey. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, and even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses for, what, uh, for whosoever eateth the leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. In verse 19, he says, Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that shall, uh, I'm sorry, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. So we know there's a mixed multitude that comes out. We know God is gracious and made provision even for those Egyptians or those other nationalities that followed the children of Israel out. God was good. He says, hey, that Passover lamb, uh, later on he'll, he'll add circumcision to that. But initially he's like, the Passover lamb's enough. And then later on in the law of Moses, he says they need to be circumcised, every male. Uh, but as long as they were circumcised and they submitted to the ordinances of God, man, everybody was welcome and wanted. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. This ordinance needs to be uh, needs to be followed, or you will be cut off. You're not included. And so we've seen already in the New Testament what that looks like in a New Testament sense. And we've seen, and I don't say sadly, we've seen what that looks like in our context as well. And praise God, oftentimes it results in exactly the purpose is the end game. The soul is saved. The flesh is destroyed and the soul is saved. And not saved like born again. They're already born again. But that that Christian is able to restore fellowship with God and with the church and get the power that God wants them to have so they can live a victorious life and be ready for the rapture, be ready for the judgment seat of Christ, be ready for the day they step out of this carcass into a glorified state. Man, hallelujah to you. Isn't it good to be ready for eternity? We need to be ready. Truly, every time we gather, we commemorate the resurrection on the first day of the week at HBF. Every fifth Sunday, we celebrate the unity that we have in Christ through his sacrifice that cleansed us from sin. Therefore, we take of the Lord's Supper just as Jesus did with the disciples. We eat the unleavened bread, which is a picture of our perfect sinless sacrifice, and we drink the pure blood of the grape, the picture of the sinless blood, the precious blood of the lamb. And as we do this, we judge ourselves. Lest we be judged, is what the Apostle Paul says. 
right? We judge ourselves. We take the leaven out. We take the garbage out. I don't know about y'all, but we got to take the garbage out to the curb every week. But you know what? Sometimes in the middle of the week, we got to take the garbage out. I'm like, whoo, I'm sitting in my office last night. I'm like, what is that? I get my, my can out. I'm like, that garbage needs to be taken out, right? Sometimes you just got to get that out. Because you let it, you get let it linger, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Start, things start growing, and we don't need that. So there's there's purity that that is accompanied with our security, right? That that land, that sacrifice has secured our salvation, but there's a purity that also is associated with it. And God has coupled this feast of unleavened bread with this Passover sacrifice. So you cannot, I cannot, He will not let anyone miss this through all generations, right? Uh, we'd like to talk about our security. But we often get a little uncomfortable when we talk about our purity. Because in Laodicea, there's a lot of impurity. And beloved, I'm not a good pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a good Christian if I don't bring this up and really park the car on it. Because this is fundamentally where we need to work. And we don't need to get legalistic. So praise God, I'm not going to give you a list of things that you need to do to be pure. That's what most fundies do. But you know what? The, the Bible itself and the Holy Spirit of God will, will tell you. What you need to do. I mean, I will too if you ask. It's pretty clear. But at the end of the day, you've got to be convicted and convinced of how Jesus Christ's sacrifice has actually changed you. You've got to be aware of who Jesus Christ is. And when you are, then you'll be aware of who you are. And you will naturally be convicted of the sin of the leaven. Some of the stuff's in the cracks and the crevices and the closets. I don't even want to know. But you know and God knows where it's at. And you need grace and you need help to get that out. That's what the local church is for, is to help. That's what we're here to help with that. Okay, so um, I could give you, I, as I'm, I'm thinking all these testimonies of how God convicts me, I could give you a long list of stories where God just has convicted me of sin. From big things that people would think were big sin things to things that you all would think, what? That's no big deal. I confessed my sin. We saw my mother-in-law yesterday. I confessed the sin that was on my heart from the time that Amy and I were engaged. It's like 20-some years later, and I finally sit down with my mother-in-law, and I'm all convicted about something. And I say, hey, Cindy, I, I just need to apologize for this. The way I had handled this was just not right, and I'm convicted about it. And, and I'm, you know, she looks at me like, I don't even remember that. What are you talking about? You're forgiven, you know. You know what? I just had to do that for my sake and her sake. You know, there's just things that you got to, if God's telling you to deal with the leaven, deal with the leaven. You know what I timed it on when God brought that to my heart? I remember I was in my study in my house in the basement there, and I'm reading the Word of God one morning, and he convicted me of this particular issue. And I I set a clock. I said, next Lord's Supper is this time. The same clock I set here with everybody else, I set for myself. Like before the next Lord's Supper, i got to deal with this. You know, because uh, it really wasn't that kind of thing where I'm going to pick up the phone. It wasn't a phone call. It wasn't a text. It was I got to sit down face to face, look my mother-in-law in the eye and let her know. And so I did. And it was like, she's like, well, great. I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. So I'm like, oh, well, praise the Lord. Neither does God. It's as far as the east is from the west. And now I have a clean conscience before God and in the sight of men. Doesn't it feel good Woo! get the leaven out? And you walk out of here on a Sunday, you ought to feel good about getting the leaven out. I, I mean, we ought, to feel, we ought to walk out of here feeling clean, like when you get out of the shower. The Word of God has washed over us. It has reminded us of the things in our heart and our lives that we need to deal with. And, man, we come out of here just knowing that what the Bible says is true about us. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we put the flesh where it needs to be, which is below our feet, not on top of us, right? We get under that thing and we push it. I just reverse, reverse my analogy, forgive me. But at any rate, we are in control of it instead of it being in control of us. It's going to fight you. It's going to fight you to the day you die. So just get used to it. Man, I used to get super convicted when I was a young Christian because of this issue of sanctification. And I just wanted to be sinlessly perfect, sinlessly perfect. And I was literally sitting at City Union Mission. Pastor Randy Foster, was he, he was preaching. Neither one of us were pastors at the time. Uh, but uh, he was preaching. And he, he quotes this passage out of Corinthians, and it says, Such were some of you. And, it, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, wow, I am forgiven. I am washed. I am sanctified. I'm just beating myself up all the time. i got to believe what the Bible says. And it's amazing when you believe what God says, the victory that he brings to your heart. And so in Exodus 12:17, 17, 
He says, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance for a couple days. No, you're going to do this forever, forever, forever. This is a, this is a long time. So point A, the feast of unleavened bread is a celebration of, of sin-free living. You know, I could have rephrased this. I thought some really fancy ways to summarize this. And God said, no, just say it just like that. It's simple. Sin-free living. Okay. It's not, I, I was going to throw sanctification in there. Doesn't that sound good? But really, it's, it's about sin-free living, just to get it down where we can deal with it. Uh, I mean, it's a memorial, according to verse 14, right? He says it's a memorial, and you shall keep uh, it a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. Shall you keep it a feast by an ordinance forever? So it was to be kept throughout Israel's generations. It is, <clears throat> it is passed down. And it has been passed down. To this day, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, even though they deny its fulfillment in Christ. So what God intended to be a celebration for them is actually a condemnation. Isn't that what happens when we... That's the warning, isn't it, in in 1 Corinthians 11. When you come to the table for a celebration, but you haven't taken out the leaven, you haven't acknowledged what the Word of God says, now your celebration turns into a condemnation. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Uh, and so, uh, so this goes on forever because the sacrifice of the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, with, and it will be remembered for all of eternity. After, after all, Jesus still bears the holes in his hands and his side, according to John chapter 20, verse 27. This day, the Jews as a nation are blind to the wounds uh, that were inflicted upon their own Savior and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, the Bible says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That is not in the New Testament. That is written in the, in the Hebrew Bible. That is from the Old Testament. That is from Isaiah. It's in their own Bible. And they don't see it. While they, sac- they observe the sacrifice forever, they miss the power of the, of, the, of the sacrifice, which we talked about last week. Boy, there are some religious people in our culture. They will talk about Jesus. They'll talk about bread. They'll talk about wine. But they really miss the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. Be careful. Not to, you need to have that relationship and not just be religious. Because they're very religious but you've got to receive the Lamb, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And it has to be personal or it's not profitable, right? Religion is not enough. You do have to have a personal relationship. And so at the second coming of Jesus, when he comes to this earth at the end of the great tribulation, every eye will behold Jesus. And one of the distinct marks will be the piercing of the Lamb of God that he bears to this very day. They are the memorial forever of the sufferings he endured after celebrating the Passover with his disciples and offering himself as a sinless sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth will wail because of him. Even so, amen, so be it. That train is coming down the tracks. And that's what these messages are all about, is get ready. Get ready. Get yourself rapture ready, because you're going to be coming back with him when every eye shall see him. We'll be coming back in victory. And so, in the millennium, um, <clears throat> in the millennium and eternity future, the generation celebrating the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread will recognize Jesus was the Passover, and he is the bread of life. Today, only the church understands this picture clearly, and the rest of humanity to this day is blinded by the leaven of false doctrine that's puffed them up and cut them off from the promises of Christ. You remember when you were there? I remember when I was there. I'm lying to people about being a Christian. I, I, I got these concepts of Jesus Christ, but I don't believe it. It's not real to me. It's not powerful in my life. I'm not born again. I, what am I? I'm blinded by sin. Sin. Sin blinds us. And so we don't want to go back to that blindness. Point two, he mentions a holy convocation. In Exodus twelve sixteen. he mentions it twice there. He says, there shall be a holy convocation 
And then he goes on again and says, in the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation. So this feast begins with a holy convocation and ends with a holy convocation. And then he says, uh, he says, there shall be no manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. So we don't use the word convocation very often in, in our daily life. I mean, I don't say, hey, let's have a convocation. What in the world is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, a convocation is, is simply a holy assembly. It's a congregation, congregating in, in holiness, right, with a purpose. So when we break, <clears throat> break the word down, of course, it has con, right, and then it has vocation. And so we use the word pro and con all the time. We get what a pro and con is, right? Uh, and so it's the opposite, right? It's for, it's against vocation. It's a convocation. So this is a meeting where you come together. It's not to work. It's not a work party. This is a time to set before the Lord and observe what he's saying, to rest in him and to rest in his promises. This is a week of rest where you, you start it with a holy convocation and you end it with a holy convocation and you do no work other than preparing that unleavened bread. That's all you work on is, is that unleavened bread. And, and so that is what this holy convocation is all about. It's a setting apart for a week to contemplate the holiness of God. You know, in our culture today, it would do us good to set aside time to to uh, contemplate the holiness of God. We'd like to recreate, right, recreate. But you know, one of the best ways to recreate is to contemplate God's holiness and understand that that holiness is your holiness. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Set aside everything else that you're thinking about and think about him. Think about what he has for you in your life. Wow, man, there's a lot there, and you can spend a lot of time resting in him you'll come away refreshed and renewed in the spirit that's why when we come together on sunday uh, we congregate not to clean the church or to work on the property there's a lot of work that could get done hey could we clean the floors could we do this well actually they're cleaner than they've been in a long time praise god but uh, can we do this can we do that can we you know can we paint the building can we fix this no that's not we do that six other days a week but on the first day of the week we celebrate the resurrection right we celebrate the main thing and we rest in that. Hallelujah to you. So point B, the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrates the power of sin-free living. It sounds a lot like what I said, but it celebrates the power of sin-free living. And we need the power, right? What was that? I got the power. So Exodus twelve seventeen, we got the power, let me tell you. And it's, there in verse 17 it says, And ye shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. I'm not going to hang on that much because we already talked about it, but those armies are important. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So God identifies the children of Israel now by their armies, and they, are, uh, <clears throat> and they haven't fought one battle. God's done all the fighting for them. You know why? Because they're in formation, and they're being formulated into a nation. It's just like you. You don't get saved by fighting battles. You may be in some battles. You've lost them. But God saves you because he's already fought the battle that matters 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's already done. But I guarantee you this. If you've been born again and you're saved, anybody got battles they're facing? You could all raise your hand and go, oh, yeah. yeah, There's battles. There's real battles. And God saved us. He set us apart. Not to be victims, but to be victors in the battles that we face. He set this nation apart, and they still got a lot of battles ahead of them. He set them apart to go to battle. You know what? In God's providence, he's allowed the, the adversaries to populate for four. While they're in bondage for 400 years, they, the adversaries have been populating for 400 years. And you know what he's doing? He's preparing them for those battles, those great cities, those great things that they built. God says, that's your inheritance. They did all the heavy work for you. I just need you to go in and remove them from the from the property, from the promised land you know before god has us come back and set up his kingdom this is what he needs us to do assess the kingdom that we have right here in our hearts and clean up our life he's bringing us back to clean up the world the millennium is going to be incredible we're going to rule and reign with christ and he's like hey can you just take some time and meditate on this and, and clean up your lives and be who i've saved you to be so that when you come back you'll be useful in what i have for you in the coming millennium and eternity future Guys, our salvation, it's, it's immense. It's beyond what we can even comprehend. What you're, that day that you trusted Christ, that moment, that sacrifice, that lamb, it, it was a great event. It was a great moment in your life, but yet God has set you apart 
and set me apart and set this congregation apart and set the saints apart in the big C church because we're coming back and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. He's got plans for us. Not only to have our lives cleaned up, not only have our act together, but to help him administrate his kingdom and clean up the act of the entire world and may I say the entire universe. I mean, that's incredible to think about. So I'm going to digress there. But it's a beautiful thing that God doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as we will be. And really, we are already that. We just got to get there. So uh, this is the third mention of the word armies, as I mentioned last week. The last one, the fourth and last one in Exodus uh, is in verse 51 of this same chapter. So in the church uh, of Corinth, Paul rebuked the members of that church because they were they were um, airing their grievances before the lost in a Roman judicial system. And after rebuking them, he encouraged them to remember who they are in Christ. In verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to the law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Like, what's your problem, man? Why do you always have to be right? Why can't you just say, you know what, okay, Jesus was defrauded for me. I'll be defrauded. I just let's have peace. Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and ye, your, and that your brother know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, <clears throat> effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. If that's what you want your identity to be. And there's people fighting hard to have those identities. You can have it. But don't miss the last thing that Paul says here. This is the verse that rocked my world many years ago when Randy was preaching at the mission. And such were some of you. But who are you now? But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, begin to act like that. What in the world are you doing arguing about your grievances before the world when you will judge angels? You do not comprehend who you are in Christ. Take the fault, for goodness sake. And that happens from time to time in the church. There's in, the, in years past, there's been grievances. And, and to the credit of the brothers, there's been some big grievances over money, properties, this, that, and the other, business dealings, man. Oof, it can get nasty, nasty. But I've seen brothers by grace take a fault. I don't know who did right, but one of them just ate it. And I never heard another complain about it. So if they were complaining about it, I don't want to know. But anyway, sometimes you just got to take the fault. Amen? Amen, Brian. Hey, have you been married? If you're married, you better learn how to take a fault. Men? You know, Amy can vouch for this. She's always right. And it doesn't work that way. Well, when I was young, I used to say, Amy, you're right. You're always right. You know, she's so humble. She's like, that's not true. I'm like, well, I'm just trying to convince myself. All right. So, you know, you got to learn how to just take the fault. Take the fault. Praise God. <clears throat> when we need to remember who we are in Christ. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, um, <clears throat> they went from slaves to a nation to an army. What an incredible transformation. In the New Testament, we go from sinners to saints, a congregation of the wicked to the church of the living God, from lost to found, from darkness to life, from death to life, from old man to new man, to from the devil's family to God's family, from unholy to holy. You are a new creature in Christ. Amen? You are a new creature. You are washed if you're born again this morning. You are a new person. Instead of being cut off, we will be caught up. The bride of Christ is going to be an army clothed in righteousness and returning victoriously with Christ. Our garments are white. And when we hear the the last trump, the dead in Christ will rise incorruptible, the Bible says. Incorruptible. From, uh, From earth to heaven in an instant. And then coming back again at the second coming. It's our blessed hope, according to Titus 2.13. So Paul's going somewhere with all of this as he takes, uh, 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 takes the Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and their mockery of the Lord's Supper, that celebration of what Jesus Christ did. If you are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, you know what's so true about this? So is your 
brother or sister. If you get all that grace, they get all that grace too. And so you need to view it under those lenses. God will do the work. From time to time in the body of Christ, small matters like money, hurt feelings, come between brothers in the body. And when that happens, we give the devil the advantage. If we fail to see that our brothers, if we fail to see our brothers with the same eyes and with the same grace that God views them, the same grace that he gives us. Aren't you glad that God isn't recounting every little piece of leaven in your life, but it's under the blood? Well, then why do we go around recounting everybody else's little leavens? Sometimes we do it to make ourselves feel better. That's called self-righteousness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul obviously dealt with cutting that one off that was in gross immorality. However, there are times when believers in the body choose to condemn others while rejoicing in forgiving the forgiveness afforded them by the Lord Jesus Christ. If we've been forgiven, why is it that we struggle so much to forgive others? Paul hits the nail on the head. It's because we don't understand our identity and the identity of those we serve with in the body of Christ. We've lost our way. We've forgotten what Jesus Christ has done. We, we read earlier that the consequence for eating leaven, uh, which is a picture of sin, is to be cut off. Those who continue in sin and refuse to repent eventually will lose their opportunity to fellowship with the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 5.13. Conversely, there's a great liberty and joy when we judge ourselves, right, and, and we clean out the cracks and the crevices of our hearts and our houses and enjoy the grace that God gives us and, and the ability to judge ourselves so that we're not judged. 1 Corinthians 11:31-33 Paul said for if we would judge ourselves we should not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened of the Lord that we should not uh, be condemned with the uh, world wherefore my brethren when you come together to eat tarry one for another you know what he's Paul saying in modern terms give people a little space now literally how would that we do tarry one for another that means don't rush don't rush everybody to take the Lord's supper wait around make sure everybody's included like, like that's why I sit around and wait for everybody, and then they all come down. We want everyone to be included. But there's also times where you've got to give people space, right, to deal with their issues. <clears throat> Sadly, the Corinthian church was full of carnal people who were not sincere, and when they didn't apply the truth to their hearts, they had learned, uh, that the Bi- they had learned the Bible, yet they were still babies and needed milk. And in some cases, Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 11, they were weak, they were sickly, and some of them even died because they never removed the leaven from their life. You know, many of us have faced, I don't, praise the Lord, I haven't faced cancer yet, but many in our church have faced cancer. And we know it's, a, it's an emergency. When someone has cancer, we want to attack that because we know if cancer is left to itself, it may be a small speck. And my dad had little lung cancer. And they're like, oh, let's not go in and do a biopsy right now. Let's... Let's see how it wait, how it goes. You know what? Four or five months later, too late. That little bitty speck of lung cancer it was all over the place, and it was too late. I'm like, well, that didn't work, right? Why? Because you leave that leaven alone, and it's going to keep going, right? And so you, that's what happens with sin in our lives. If we don't address it, it becomes cancerous, and it can and it can infect us. And what Paul's pointing out is it will even kill you. You want to ignore the Holy Ghost and you want to self-medicate, it could kill you. I'm just saying, I'm being very honest with y'all. If we don't find our sufficiency in Christ, in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God, in the, the local New Testament church, the things God has provided and are true, and we go believe a lie, some false doctrine. Paul, Jesus called it the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, bad teaching. That's what killed Adam and Eve in the garden. False teaching. Lies, half-truths about God and his word. And that, guys, we don't, we got to take this book seriously. That's why we hold to a standard at HBF when it comes to the actual English Bible. We believe that this Bible, the King James Bible, has been purified. It has been, it has been, God has divinely moved, removed the leaven. It's not just the best. It is the word in English. It is the standard in English language. So point C, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be celebrated obediently. I'm not going to take much time here for time's sake, but if you look at verses 18 through 20, it's very clear. The timing is non-negotiable. He gives the time on the 14th day of Abib from the 14th to the 21st. It's seven days. It's a week. Of course, we know in the future God's going to rest 
uh, all of his creation for 1,000 years at the end of a week. No leaven in the house, right? We've talked about that. We need to clean out our houses. And and, uh, again, that's not negotiable. And so if you're in doubt, just throw it out. Historically, Baptists are separatists because we know that friendship with the world is enmity. It's at war with God. So if you're in doubt, throw it out. Err to the side of, 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 of eliminating it. Jesus warned the disciples and the children of Israel, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, as I mentioned. In Exodus 12:16, he says, The first day there shall be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No, matter, no manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. So we need to make sure our mind and our hearts are clear of corruption. You know what we need to be doing? Second Corinthians 10, 3 says this. For though, our, <clears throat> for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our war, warfare are not carnal, right? They're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's how you clean out the house. Your mama told you, you are what you eat, right? I'll tell you, one of the things that will help us clean out the the crevices and get the leaven out is liberal doses of the water of the word of God. Man, I'm telling you, there's, you're getting messages. I'm getting messages on my technology, my phone, all kinds of information's flooding us. It's not all like wicked bad. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying a little of this, a little of that gets in the cracks, gets in the crevices, it gets in the thoughts. You know what we need? We need to make sure that we bring those thoughts into captivity and we cast them down and we let Jesus Christ be preeminent in the way we think and where we set our affections because it's all about grabbing our heart and destroying us from the inside out. It is a cancer. And, beloved, this I am telling you, this is a unique time in history. So this I'm not just saying this like your 1950s Baptist preacher saying, oh, you know, don't wear it. You know, don't wear pants, ladies, and don't listen to that Elvis Presley. <clears throat> I'm just saying. The church has gone a long way from where we were in the Philadelphian church age. And there's a there is an active attack, not just on, on saved people, but everybody. But the only people that have a chance, the only people that are not blind, the only people that can get the leaven out of the cracks and maintain a holy life, y'all, is us. The world can't do that. We can wring our hands and say, oh, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah, they are. The problem isn't the world. The problem is us. We got to make sure we take what Jesus Christ did for us seriously enough that we get up in the morning and in the midday and in the afternoon and we intentionally think on these things, bringing every thought into captivity, casting them down. I'm not saying you can't cut up, laugh, watch sports, all that stuff. Do whatever. Have fun. Enjoy your weekend. All right? God bless you. Be at liberty. Seriously. I mean it. Enjoy life. God's given it to you. But be careful of the leaven. I know you're in the Amen Choir. That's why you're here this morning on Labor Day weekend. But your mom is right. You are what you eat. Point D. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be celebrated intentionally. When you get down to verses 33 through 36, it says, And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. And they said, We uh, we all be dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound upon their clothes, upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, as they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now, we've already covered a lot of that, so I'm not going to get into the details. There's a lot there, but I just want to leave with a few points as we conclude. You know what? We need to be prepared to leave this world. These folks were prepared. You notice the priority of what they took was the dough, just like God told them. They had the dough. They had it bound to their clothes. They carried it out. Why? Because that was going to be their sustenance while they were on the move. Beloved, this is not our home. And God has given us a holy book 
This is the dough that you need to know. This is it. And you need to take it with you. It needs to be, it needs to be in your clothes, right? Um, the, <clears throat> the world is Egypt, right? And it's not our home. The series is called Getting Out of Egypt for a reason. It's important that we understand that we cannot coexist with the world. We have to overcome the world. And that this world, beloved, this world is not our home. God bless America. I love the United States. It's, it's the best country in the world probably ever. And yet, it's not our home. Man, I'm thankful for it. But it's not our destination. It's not our final destination. Praise God for it. We need to leverage it, but it's not our final destination. Leverage your time and your money for the kingdom of God. Proverbs 13:22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. God has all the provision you needed. You know what? All those Egyptians, all that wealth they had was given over to the people of God. And all they had to do is prioritize taking the leaven out of that bread, making a lump, and carrying it with them wherever they went. Man, guys, what does need to be our first priority? This. Preacher used to say, do you know more about your job than you do about this book? I took that to heart. I thought, man, I do know a lot about my job. You know what? You should, you should know more about this book than you do your job, your vocation, men. You know more about this book than you do your children, wives? I mean, really. Where's our priority? It needs to be in the Word of God. No matter your station in life, it's just a matter of time before you rule and reign with Christ. Beloved, it's just a matter of time before you rule and reign with Christ. That is your identity. 1 Corinthians 7.20 says, Let every man... Abide in the same calling wherein he is called. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a king. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whoever you are, use all of that for the glory of God. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Prepare your dough before you go. Prepare your dough. I'm not talking about your money, right? Before you go somewhere, you do got to get enough money. But prepare your dough before you go. You have a pure word. God has given you a pure word. Make sure you know how to rightly divide and rightly apply his book. This is the primary thing that we need to carry forth from this planet. Because truly, the only thing that is eternal is the word of God. And what's the other? Souls of men. So get your dough ready before you go. Right? Learn how to understand this book. That's why we have discipleship in this church, so you can understand the Bible. The Holy Ghost is our teacher. He has given us ways to rightly divide his word, rightly apply his word. We have pure doctrine. The leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees corrupted the minds of many in Israel, and the leaven of Satan has beguiled even the garden, and and Adam willingly followed. In Romans 12, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Get your dough ready before you go. Take a trough full of dough when you go, man. I remember many years ago when I was a baby Christian, I was struggling with eternal security. You know how God got me through that? He filled up my trough with dough. I got so down and out. I, I went to the church. I went to the pastor. I went, and it was a JW. got me all twisted around the axle. And finally, I went back to the Bible, for goodness sake. And I went back to all the verses that promised eternal life. And all of a sudden, I had all the dough I needed. And all the leaven was gone, all the false doctrine, all the arguments that I had been reading. And it wasn't coming from the preacher. And it wasn't coming from this book. And it wasn't coming from that book. It came from the book, the Bible itself. And God, I said, you know what? I can take this to heaven when I get to, when I get to glory. If God says, you're not welcome, I'll say, wait a minute. It says right here, this is the verse you gave me. I know if this isn't it, then I don't have it. I'm basing it on what the Word of God says. You got to know the dough before you go. Man, that gave me enough assurance to walk through this life. I haven't, I haven't second-guessed my eternal life since. I'm telling you guys, you got to get the dough before you go, or you're going to be a weak and beggarly Christian. You're going to be blind. 
And you're not going to be ready for the glory that God has on the other side. It's not about beating you up for what you're doing wrong. That's already under the blood. It's about getting you ready for what God has in store. It's like getting the troops ready because we're an army. God has business for us to do. We've got to be about the business of the Father because he's coming. And our job is to be ready. I hope you can tell I really believe this stuff. Because it's what the Word of God teaches. And he mentions clothes, right? They got the silver, the gold. They got all that. They got those those things, which I just skipped over. But, man, I tell you what, they got the clothes. Prepare your clothes before you go. They, they received jewels of silver, gold, and, and raiment. And I put in your notes there what those represent. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed upon, we shall be found, not, found, not be found naked. Revelation 3.17, another warning. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Got all the riches of the world. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Beloved, there are people in the church more upset about how the country is going than they are about how the church has been going. I'm not talking about just our local church. I'm talking about the fact that people are leaving the word of God. You got all kinds of false doctrine. It's anemic. It's sad. The word of God is not preeminent. Scholarship is robbing it on the right hand and the left. Beloved, we need to hold fast to the faithful word. Point four, prepare to go when God says so. Prepare to go when God says so. He told them they'd be thrust out, and he was preparing them. And in verses 37 through 39, man, they, they just... They just Boom! Kick them out of there. We'll talk about that next time. They need to be ready. God's doing them a favor. Say, hey, listen, I'm setting some things in motion. And when I tell you it's time to go, it's going to happen. I'm going to use Pharaoh to do it. 600,000 families, probably numbering over 2 million people with women and children, were prepared to move out at the command of God. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? If the Lord comes back right now, are you prepared? Are you prepared right now? If not, why not? You remember Lot. He wasn't ready. His family wasn't ready. When God came to draw him out of Sodom before the wrath fell, it wasn't working very good for Lot. Nobody believed him. God said, go. And his children said, no. Dad, I don't believe all that. That's just some cunningly devised fable. Look at all we got here in Sodom. I mean, this society is so sophisticated. Yeah, we've got problems. But the world's never been as good as this. He wanted to compromise. Well, maybe I can only go over here. And the angels are like, no, you need to go. You need to be ready to go. You've got to go. You've got to be ready. Is your house ready? Fathers and mothers, our primary job is to prepare our children to go when God says so. You know Psalm 127. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, verse 3. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's his blessing. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of his youth. You know what children are? They're designed to go, to be launched, to meet with the enemies at the gate. When you get too frail to deal with the enemies, you know what? They're the ones that the next generation have to remember all the things we've just said, and they got to take it to the next generation. Can you teach them what you've been taught? Notice how the dough turns to cakes as we walk by faith. Later on in that passage, that dough that was, that was taken out becomes cakes because that's what they, they have to eat, live on. The children of Israel didn't prepare victuals because 
Pharaoh thrust them out so fast. Nonetheless, that dough was transformed into cakes for their nourishment as they walked by faith out of the world toward the promised land. So here's the practical takeaway as we conclude. Philippians 4.19, But my God has supplied all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Really, the thing that we don't believe this as Americans, but I'm just telling you, what the Bible tells us is all that we really need, all that our forefathers really had, is the promises. And this thing, this dough, that caused them to go, Literally, this this continent was filled with people just trusting the Word of God, people losing their lives, just trusting what the Word of God says. You know what? It became cake. It became sustaining food. It became everything that they needed. And it does the same for us today. First Timothy 6, 8, and having food and raiment. I mean, God's not going to leave you without food and raiment. He says, be content. You need to be mobile. You need to be ready. You need to be like a soldier. God has provided our food from the manna of his word, and our covering is his righteousness. This is all that we need, and it should be all that we want. And everything else is just his grace and his blessings. And man, has he blessed us. Don't let those blessings become a curse. It's not wrong. I'm not trying to put him on a guilt trip. I really am not. But if you have it, rather use it. If you have it, rather use it. Go back to the main thing. Make that our our priority because I don't want anyone to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in a time in which we live and not walk by faith. Because Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's stand together, beloved.